Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor John. All right, well, kids, you guys can be dismissed. First through sixth grade. At the back, your leader will meet you right back there. And, and uh, I'm glad you came to second service because I made a mess first service. It was funny. If you were here, I was all over the place because I had so much information. And uh, I'm glad it wasn't recorded because it was like I was everywhere. And that's what happens when you have seven pages of notes. So I expect a lot of amens today because amen means we get it, get on with it. Amen. Thank you. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to my notes a little better this time. Um, after I was done, I was just laughing. I was like, y'all confused. And I think I might have confused some people. But I want to talk to you today about uh, dealing with disruption. We're going to look at Daniel chapter 6. Um, and I'm going to give a little bit of a backstory. And in a future message, I'm actually going to preach how Daniel got to the point he was at. Because there's a ton of historical information that's really fascinating. Um, and we always get to where we're at through a series of events most of the time. Sometimes it's one decision. Amen. You ever made a decision that got you to a place that you weren't sure you wanted to be? Come on, give me an amen. All right, um, we'll be here all day. All right. Uh, disruptions. Uh, where I grew up uh, in Northern California, when I say Northern, I mean almost Oregon border, Northern California on, a, on the Klamath River. We had a lot of disruptions with our power. Uh, we lived on the river, up above the river, um, if you're technical, but our roads were right along the river and there was a lot of rock slides um, every winter that would take out power lines and sometimes you'd go three, four days without power, but how we dealt with that disruption was a big generator. We had a big gas-powered Jeep engine on this big generator. And that's how we dealt with it. So are you ready to deal with certain disruptions? The answer would be yes. But what about disruptions that you don't see coming? How do we, how do we deal with those? So we're going to look at, at Daniel's life today. So I'm going to read my notes. I said that first service and then I tried to do it by memory and that's where I made the mess. Okay. So I'm just going to read my notes. Y'all cool with that? You don't want to be here all day. You don't need to be here all day. All right. So the backstory in chapters uh, one through five of the book of Daniel, uh, we see Daniel and the three Hebrew boys uh, were taken captive from Jerusalem. Uh, We're not sure where Daniel was at when the furnace incident happened. He was still in the kingdom after King Nebuchadnezzar died and his son Darius took over. The queen mom was still in power. Uh, So one of Nebuchadnezzar's wives was still there. Uh, Darius throws this big party and he brings out the golden cups from the temple of God in Jerusalem that had been stolen when they brought the Hebrew boys out of Jerusalem. They were using what was made for God in an ungodly way. And God doesn't like this mocking and he sends a message. So Belshazzar, I I said Darius throws a party. That's why I messed up. Correction, uh, wrong king. There's three kings. It's, it's Belshazzar throws a big party. Now I understand where I went wrong. <laughs> I was using the wrong name. Um, Darius is the guy that overthrows Belshazzar. All right, so he throws this big party, and there's a thousand people invited, and they're just going crazy. They're drinking, they're partying, and, and Belshazzar has this idea to bring in all the golden cups. Um, if you've seen uh, Raiders of the Last Ark, okay, or... Or maybe the last crusade where they went in and there's all the cups, you know, and they got to pick the right one. And that's what this is like. He's got all these goblets and he's, he's using them to kind of mock God. Like, this is what we stole out of Jerusalem. We're going to get plastered. Well, God doesn't like this. And all of a sudden, Belshazzar sees this hand and it's writing on the wall. And it's writing something in the plaster of the wall. Well, that's where we get the term 
I saw the handwriting on the wall. That's where this comes from. And, and so he sees it, and, and uh, King James refers to him basically as wetting his pants. He was so scared at this hand writing something on the wall. And he doesn't know what it says. He calls us an astrologers. They have no idea what it means. And then the queen mom hears the commotion, and she says, there is a man named Daniel whom, you know, your dad brought out of Jerusalem a long, long time ago. They figure about 70 years that he's been in Babylon, that he can read what it is. So Daniel, whatever he's been doing for the last 23 years since King Nebuchadnezzar died, uh, we don't know, but his life was pretty chill. He was probably over some things. He had money. He had uh, prestige and was just doing what Daniel did. And and he gets called in this evening to come and interpret what the writing was. And King Belshazzar says, hey, I will give you a, a purple robe and a gold chain around your neck and make you third in command if you read it. And he's like, keep your stuff, don't need your stuff. The things of the world don't appeal to me, but I'll tell you what it means. And so he says this in verse 29, because here's what was written in the plaster. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. And mene means God has numbered your days of your reign and brought it to an end. <laughs> Just what the king wants to hear. Tekel means you have been weighed on the scales and been found wanting. Perez means your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. That very night, King Belshazzar was killed uh, by the men of King Darius, who, as we'll get into in our next lesson, um, on this, they had, were already in Babylon. They had gotten, they lowered the river, diverted the river, got under the metal grates, the whole army got into it. And so the enemy was already in this area that very night. Um, and God's word came to pass. Belshazzar was killed, Darius took over, and that's where the story uh, starts. So here's, here's what I want to tell you, is that Daniel was minding his own business, and now he has to deal with disruption. Okay? His, his life changed. Everything was normal for 23 years or whatever he was doing. Then one night, some guy made a bad decision to throw a big party with alcohol, and they went crazy. And Daniel didn't choose it, but now he has to deal with it. And you might be in this situation in your life. You're in a situation that you didn't choose but you have to deal with it. And I want to help you today know how to get through that. Life is normal. One moment later you're in a position you didn't ask for. And we'll see that, that this fact I believe is true, is that God always has a plan for what appears to be a disruption for you. God has a plan. What's going on in our world right now, God's got a plan for it. That's why we can get spun up in our feelings and realize, wait, wait hold on, wait. God has a plan for this. See, what you look at as prophecy, God looks at as a rerun. Think about that. Prophecy is, oh, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, this. and God's like, yeah, I've seen this. already seen it. You ever watched a movie with somebody, and you've seen the movie a bunch of times, and they've never seen it before? You ever done this kind of fun, like you know what's coming up, and either you're nice or not nice by not saying what's going to happen and jump in front of the screen, you're like, oh, I can't wait to wait, I know. You're not scared by it, but the person who's never seen it before is. We're like the person that's never seen the movie. We don't really know what's coming, there's suspense here, but, but God is the director of the movie. He knows exactly what's coming next. So God's not worried about it. So in the meantime, our humanness still takes over, but God always has a plan for what appears to be a disruption to you. Daniel doesn't seem to have a choice in this matter. And in one evening, Daniel is under new, new management. And I will tell you this, that God's timing is always perfect. Now, Darius seems to be a pretty solid guy. Okay? Uh, the stage is set, so let's get into today's message. Daniel chapter 6, uh, you could do a subtitle of The Dilemma, The Decision, and the destiny. So we're going to read some scripture, talk about it, and then read some more scripture and talk about it. Let's go one through four. It says this. It pleased Darius 
to appoint 120 satraps, or like governors, to rule throughout the kingdom. So basically they have like 120 provinces or states, and he's got 20 governors over there. He seems to be a pretty stand-up guy. He's not like the iron-fisted dictator. Uh, He trusts his leaders, so he, he appoints 120 of them. Over the 120, he has three administrators overseeing them, one of whom was Daniel. Now, Daniel normally, when a king comes in and and kills the king, he gets rid of the leaders. But Daniel, uh, scholars feel that that Darius knew who Daniel was, knew his character. And he's like, this is a guy I'm going to keep. Okay, he's a Jewish boy. We know know his history. But but he's he's a solid dude, and this is the kind of guy I want in my new administration. So he keeps him around and actually puts him as one of the three top guys. All right. He has so distinguished himself. How did, how did Daniel get there? Well, here's how. It says, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so the king might not suffer loss. Now, let me tell you something. If you're crooked, you don't like accountability. If you're a thief, you don't like somebody checking the books. Right? That, that's, how, that's how that works. So he, the king... Darius, he understands that people can be corrupt, so he is going to have administrators to kind of check on things, checks and balances. Now, Daniel had so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom, like he was going to be in charge of everything. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Okay, that's a pretty good leader. Okay, I will tell you something. Daniel had a reputation for being a stand-up guy, not corrupt at all, which never sits well with corrupt leaders. A corrupt leader does not want an incorrupt person in the leadership. Why? Because they will say something. They can't keep their corruption up if they have a watchdog watching them. And so Daniel, with this reputation he has, made me want to ask you a question, and that's this. What reputation do you have amongst your peers? What reputation do you have amongst your peers? How you live determines this. Your track record, your history. How you've behaved in the past is going to determine often how you behave in the future. And I wrote this this, this last week on my Facebook post. If you take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. The, the character is most important. So like Joseph, Daniel was so trustworthy that he was in line to run the kingdom. And he was Jewish, okay? And that, that seemed, Jews weren't looked at as being very respectable back then. So it's an, it's an amazing thing, which proves to me that it doesn't matter what race or color you are. If you're qualified, you should have the job. It doesn't matter. Male, female, color, doesn't matter. If you're qualified, you should have the job. And Daniel was qualified because of his character, so you have these corrupt political, political figures who understand that their corrupt way of life is threatened by Daniel's integrity. He's not going to let them get away with it, so the next step is to get rid of him. See, truth isn't popular with people who want to live under a lie. Truth isn't popular with people who want to live under a lie. And we're in a generation now, which is why I believe that Christianity is such a threat to the world, because deep down, the world knows right and wrong. They really do. God put it in our DNA. Even an atheist knows that cheating on your spouse or lying or stealing is wrong. And this moral code comes from somewhere. So you can have someone who does not believe in God at all. You could go to their house, they could open the door, you could point a gun at them and say, I'm taking all your stuff and you could do nothing about it because you don't believe in God. Therefore, you have no moral code. So you shouldn't have a problem with me taking your stuff, right? I don't even need the gun, right? No, go ahead. No, they would go away. I'm being robbed. And then what what would they do? They would call the police. Why? Because there's a moral code. There's ethics. 
So even somebody who says, I don't believe in God, still has ethics, which came from somewhere. Now, evolution doesn't create ethics, doesn't create morals. Matter of fact, evolution says, do what you want, have what you want, take what you want, then there's no problem. So we know that God is real just because we understand that there is right and wrong. Daniel has this comprehension of there's right and wrong, and the right comes from the word of God. Now, these corrupt political people, which I'm sure glad we don't have those in today's days, day and age, um, they have a problem with this. So they're like, finally, verse 5, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. They're like, this guy serves God, so let's, let's try to make up a rule that we know he will break because it has to do with the law of his God. So they start thinking about how they can trick him. And they, they can't find any dirt on him, right? So it's like, okay, he prays every day. We know that. He prays three times a day because he's in the window and he kneels down. So let's do something with prayer. So they get this idea to try and destroy Daniel. So here's what they did, verse 6. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king. And they said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and governors have all agreed. Key word, all. They've all agreed. Everybody's in agreement to this thing that we want you to do. The king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king, issue that decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be annulled. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, he thought this was a pretty good idea. He's like, oh, pray just to me? And they're like, yeah, 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 everybody's in agreement, right? Because we need to establish you as the new leader. Like, you're the guy, so if we, if we make it illegal to pray to anybody else or any other god except you, this will establish who's in authority. And he went, that sounds like a pretty good idea. Why? Because anytime something appeals to our pride... We're kind of for it. And it appealed to his pride. Now, again, he's a good man, but he got caught up in the emotion of everybody thinking that, you know, hey, we think you're the greatest, so we should pray to you. And he, and he bites into the hook that had the bait on it. And so here's what I want us to understand is that, that the Daniel, he was so consistent in his walk with God and in his prayer life, they knew he would break it. And I hope this could be said about us, that if you were accused of being a Christian, is there enough evidence that a jury would find you guilty if they talked to enough of your friends or people that knew you? Would they say, oh yeah, I'm totally guilty. That guy loves God. That woman loves God. There's no question. Or would it be, hey, Stan's accused of being a Christian. Do you find any evidence? And they talk to the church and they're like, yeah, he talks good on Sunday, but I see him during the week. Pretty crazy. Not sure. Okay, he talks a good talk, but I'm not sure about his behavior. I would hope that would never happen. I would hope that a jury of people that know you would go, oh, there's no question. Loves God. Messed up? Oh, yeah, they mess up. But they've, they've repent and they confess. And, they, and they're right with Jesus. They love Jesus. There's no question they're guilty of being a Christian. And here's what I, I wrote down is that there should never be a, qu- a question mark over your Christianity by people that know you. There should never be a question mark like, well, I, I think they are. You, you ever... You ever talk to somebody who wants to date somebody? And the question is, well, are they a Christian? And like, well, I think so. Whoa, time out. <laughs> time out. Because if you think so, that'd be like going, are they male? <laughs> I think so. You're like, yeah, no, you need to know so. 
Do they love Jesus? Not well, well, I know they went to church when they were five. If, if a girl's trying to promote the guy that she's like, well, I know he went to church when he was five or his, you know, his, his great-great-grandfather was a pastor. Who cares? Is he in love with Jesus? That's what the question has to be. Not this, I think so. So if you want to date somebody, if you're single, <laughs> if you're not, don't even answer the question. Um, you know, it, 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 there shouldn't be a, I think so. If there's an, I think so, the answer is no. You should make that answer for yourself. Why? Because your convictions are going to determine whether or not you should be dating somebody who you don't know if they really love God or not. Because if they don't really love God, you're going to have issues if you get married. My wife and I met at Bible college. That's a good place to meet. Right? It's a good place to meet. They called it bridal college for some reason because all the girls there wanted to marry good, fine Christian men. All right? But Bible college was a pretty good place to eat. But you can make it work if you meet in a bar. You know, Father's Day, we have the, who, who met in the bar, Mr. Good Bar. It was a good bar because you met your spouse. We have, we have that award. Uh, most of the time, you, should, you probably weren't serving God when you met in a bar. But hey, let's get back to the lesson before you start getting squirmish, right? You still with me? Okay. I was like, the crowd gets silent. You never know. Is there conviction or do they hate me right now? Um, all right. So they can't find any dirt on them. Then they're like, okay, let's make a law, and we know that he's going to break this law. I will tell you this, a righteous life will not go unnoticed, especially by unrighteous people. Unrighteous people will know where you stand, and that's why I believe Christianity is getting less and less tolerated in America, is because we do stand for what's right and what's wrong. We do say, hey, this is what the Bible says about the sin, and it says it's a sin, right? We'd say any, any sex outside of the marriage between a man and a woman, it's a sin, period, Drunkenness is a sin, period. Bible says it. Okay, I'm just going to choose to believe it because it's the truth. And, and that's not a popular thing when people want to sin. I've had many people leave our church because they didn't want to leave certain sins because I mentioned them. And they want to go to a place where they never talk about it. Okay? There is a point, church, that we have to say this is what the Word of God says about it. And motive is huge. Motive matters. If I'm telling people they're living in sin because I'm angry at it, that's not a good motive. The motive is, is, hey, I love you enough to tell you you're wrong. Why? Because when you're driving up a one-direction one road or a one, what they call one-way street and you're going the wrong way, I need to be bold enough to say, hey, stop, you're going to get hit. So that's, as a pastor, I have to be able to say, hey, this is what the Bible says about it. Well, Daniel, his convictions were so strong, uh, we're going to see how he deals with this whole thing. A righteous life will not go unnoticed, especially by unrighteous people. So they peel to Darius's pride, and they lie that everybody's in agreement. And that's a really important thing for us to understand. What do they say? Everybody is in agreement with this. Everybody's in agreement. Was that true? No, not everybody was in agreement. Right? They made King Darius think everybody was in agreement. And in our world, okay, the, the news will try to paint a picture that everybody's in agreement with their view that they want you to have. Okay, let me tell you something. Not every city in America is on fire right now. Okay, most of them aren't, right? What, what about all the things that are going right in America? But that's not what the news wants to paint a picture that everything's in chaos. And I'm like, well, there's a handful of cities that's going crazy. So if you didn't have social media, if you didn't have news, how peaceful would CUNA, Idaho be? <laughs> That'd be great. Like, we'd have no idea that there's chaos going on. I think everybody's just loving each other, having a good time. Uh, and, and, and so limit your social media, limit your news intake, okay? Like I said, I think it was Wednesday night, that it's called a news feed for a reason because they're force-feeding you stuff. Uh, they're, they're, they're feeding you stuff and they want to feed you. Well, they force-feeding Darius here saying, everybody's in agreement. Well, was Daniel in agreement? 
Absolutely not. So you can't listen to the crowd, especially when the crowd has bad intentions. So now, um, again, Satan will always appeal appeal to the side of your pride, and it's always a bad path to walk down. I remember how previously Belshazzar promised him power and position. If you interpret this, I'll give you a robe, a gold chain, and third in command. Daniel's humility is actually what answered. He's like, don't need it, not living for this world, got nothing to lose. And there is freedom in living like you got nothing to lose. The Apostle Paul had the same mentality. He was like, oh, you want to kill me? <laughs> You're just setting me free, baby. Go ahead. I'm ready to go home. Paul over and over again was like, you know, to be absent from the body is present with Christ. Matter of fact, God, can I just come home? God's like, no, I'm not done with you yet. Paul's like, okay. God will take you out when he's good and ready. But there's freedom in living like you got nothing to lose. Now, verse 10 through 11, Daniel has this dilemma. And I don't even think it's a dilemma. It's like, I think it sounds cool, Daniel's dilemma. It's not really a dilemma. He's got a choice to make, but his choice is kind of already made. Here's what happens. When Daniel learned, verse 10, that the decree had been published, he learned it, meaning he wasn't behind it, he learned it, that the decree had been published, he went home into his upstairs room and he hid in his closet and he prayed for help. If you had your Bibles, you would know that's not what it says. That's why I encourage you, bring, bring the hard copy. That way, if your, your battery dies, right, you have the hard copy. I'm, I love hard copies. Um, and it doesn't change. Who knows? Google may actually start altering your Bible and start making it say things that you don't. Because they can do updates, right? They can change your phone. All of a sudden, the Bible will be like one page long. <laughs> Everything goes. Oh, cool. God changed his mind. That's not how it works. So Daniel learned this is what he did. He, <laughs> he went home to his upstairs room where the window opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. He didn't change. He didn't close the windows. Okay? And I believe that his windowsill was low and I think he probably put his elbows on the windowsill because they could see him praying. They weren't inside of his room. Like from the outside, people could see him praying. They could see his head. They could see his thing. They could see that he was on his knees just crying out to God. And that's what he did. He did not change his, or, or alter his, his pattern of living. So he's going to cave in or he's going to keep on keeping on. Well, Daniel's not swayed at all. He's concerned because it says they hear him praying for help, but he doesn't change his pattern of praying with an open window facing Jerusalem. And I want to point out something here. My goal every Sunday or Wednesday is to teach you something maybe you've never heard before historically, but I saw some significance in this I want to share with you. His window was facing towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the holy place. It was the place where he was from. The Bible basically is a tale of two cities. You hear about the city of Babylon from Genesis to Revelation, and you hear about the city of Jerusalem. It's a tale of two cities. Babylon represents the things of the world. The city of Jerusalem represents the things of God. And what did Daniel do? He He had been gone for over 70 years from Jerusalem, stolen from his homeland. And yet what did he do? He had his window facing Jerusalem, and every day he prayed toward the city that he knew he would eventually get back to whether it was on the earth or in heaven, because there will be a new Jerusalem. And he prayed toward that. He didn't necessarily pray to the city, but he prayed to what the city represents, and that's the city of God. And where is he? He's in Babylon. He's in a city that represents the devil's kingdom or the ways of the world. And I want to tell you something, that, that though Daniel was in Babylon, Babylon was not in him. And you can be in a mess. You can be in a crazy place right now in your life. Your eyes need to be toward Jerusalem. The Bible says the new Jerusalem will come out of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth. So Jerusalem gets redone. That we need to be focused on the end and not what's going on right now. Now we got to go through it. 
but we don't have to live here. See, we can live in Babylon, but still be Jerusalem-minded. And that's what will get you through the hard times. That's what will get you through the times that aren't very fun, which Daniel is just about to get into it. So the significance of that is huge, okay? Good versus evil. Daniel knew that even though he was held captive in the city of Babylon, Jerusalem was his final destination. Again, this earth is like Babylon as long as we're in it. Okay, in this body, we're held captive here. But my, my, my Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord if you're saved. You have to know Jesus to get to heaven. See, there's only two destinations on this flight. Heaven and hell. Heaven and hell. That's the only place you can end up is heaven or hell. And, and hell is the default. Hell is the default. If you reject Christ, if you reject what Jesus did for us on the cross, hell is the default. Amen. But to, in order to get to heaven, we have to accept Jesus as our Savior. Once again, Daniel was in Babylon, but Babylon was not in him. Babylon was just a long layover on the trip to his final destination, and this is why he was able to deal with his disruption. So his destiny was in the decision, and it always is. Your destiny is in the decisions, and we're about to see that this decision wasn't going to be his final destination. It would be a one-night stay in a lion's den. And I will ask you today, what is your lion's den today? What, what, is, what is your place in life that you really don't want to be in? What is the one place in life that you're kind of like, this, this kind of stinks. I don't really like this. I don't really like this place. And I want you to think about that as we finish up the rest of the story. So now he's on his knees, praying with an open window like always before. He's not hiding. He's not closing the doors. He's not praying a little lower because human nature would be to go like, you know what, I'm just going to do my prayer closet today. Hope you don't mind, Lord. I know the window's great, but my prayer closet, I think I was going to go to the prayer closet today. He could spiritualize it, but he also understood that if I alter my behavior, then my convictions are simply beliefs, not convictions. Daniel did not allow this law to change what he believed. And I think that's what we're up against in today's Christian church, at least in America, is that it's okay if you believe in God, but don't push your convictions on me. Okay. You don't be living your convictions. Don't you know that your convictions bother people who don't have any? We're seeing a lot of that, right? You post your convictions and you get blasted for it. Okay, And that's kind of a crazy thing, especially as a Christian. Again, if God's not real, why do they care? But the fact is, is God is real and there's a lot of spiritual stuff going on in this world. And that's why we need to be praying for our whole culture, for, for the change that needs to happen. Pray, pray for the godly change. Pray for the heart change because when the hearts change, the behaviors change. That's a heart issue, okay? It's, it's, not, it's not a race issue. It's a human issue. Okay? It's a sin issue. That's what we got to deal with. We deal with a sin here. Then, then, our, then our habits and patterns can change. So here's what Daniel did. God on his knees like normal, knowing, okay, this is what they said not to do. He's probably praying, oh, Jesus, and looking up and seeing a bunch of heads looking at him over a wall going, ah, we got you. He's praying. Okay, he's not hiding. He's sticking with his convictions, his habits, and his patterns as the bad guys knew he would. Okay, it was predictable. Patterns are predictable. Again, if, you, if you're interested in dating somebody and they have a, a history of bad patterns, don't think you're going to change it. Right? Their past is going to have a pretty good prediction of what the future is going to hold for you. It really is. So you got to be careful if you're in that situation. Habits and patterns determine your destinations. Okay, verses 11 through 15, the trap is about to get sprung. Here's what he did. Okay, he prayed just as he was done before. Then the men, in verse 11, went as a group and found Daniel praying, asking God for help. So we know that Daniel was bothered by the, this new decree. Okay, he has, he has the, his, his conviction 
And then he has a new law and what's he do with it? And he's friends with Darius. That's the crazy part. He, he likes the guy, but Darius makes a decision now that, that causes him to have to make a decision, which is a little bit of a dilemma. So he's asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to the king about this royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or any man except you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, the decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be annulled. And then they said to the king, well, Daniel... Daniel, the exile, they, they, they tell the king, the guy that was a prisoner, the guy that's a Jew, the guy that was stolen, one of the exiles from Judea, it's a dig, okay? They're digging at him. He's lower than us. He's lower than the average class. That guy, Daniel, the, the, the exile, basically the slave that you brought, you know, that your dad brought over, he pays no attention to you, O king. And how do we know Daniel was a slave? It's because he was still in Babylon. Okay, his, his home was Jerusalem, but he was still in Babylon. He was still there. Uh, he pays no attention to you, O king, or to the decree you put in writing. He, he still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed, and he was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. You ever thought something was a good idea and then realized <laughs> that it's not a good idea? Darius is like, oh, pray to me? Yeah. Oh, Daniel? Oh, no. He probably said something in Babylonian that wasn't presentable in church, okay? He's like, oh, shoot. Oh, what, what did I do? The decision that I made is okay, to get Daniel off the hook. Verse 14, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. Here was his number one pick to run the country for him. Here was the guy that he could count on the most to do the right thing. The guy that would help his kingdom more than anybody. And he just realized that he put the noose around his own guy's neck. And, and, he's, and he's trying the best he can. Make every effort until sundown, it says, to save him. He was looking for loopholes. He was looking at the laws. Is there any way we can get out of this? Now, my view is, is he's king, man. He's a king. He can say, you guys all tricked me. This is null and void. Nothing. But I want to tell you something. That, that there was a reason that Daniel had to go through the lion's den. Okay? I'm like, he could have got him out, right? Okay? He tricked me. But I want to show you something in here. That, that, that Daniel's going to go through it because God has something to show these heathens. <laughs> you, you, you can be saved from the lion's den. But what if God wants you to go through it? What if God wants you to be in there? What if there's something God has planned for you you know nothing about? That he needs you to be in the lion's den to prove his power. If there's no lion's den, God's power doesn't need to be proven. So you might be facing a lion's den today and you're like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm just doing the right thing. I get chucked in here. Now, Daniel remembered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We don't know where he was at during that whole thing, but he knows about the fire. He knows about the story. They were his best friends. They talked. Daniel's probably remembering, well, God saved them from, from this, but could he save me? Uh, God, I need your help here. Some of us are trying to get out of the lion's den and God needs us to be in the lion's den because he's doing something we know nothing about. So I would say don't despise the lion's den. Now I hate saying that because I despise the lion's den. I don't want to be in the lion's den. But God will do something through it to prove his power, to prove that these men are not in control, that God is in control. And this evil plan is about to backfire in a severe way. And the end result is going to happen to the corrupt people because of what they tried to do against the man of God. Because God does not turn a blind eye to his kids and God will not turn a blind eye on you today. He will not leave you hanging. I promise you that. He will come through. So here's what happens. Verse 16. 
king is just troubled, but he's still facing the unimaginable. You might be facing the unimaginable today, but God will get you through it. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought, placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Can you imagine that? The king's putting a seal on that, that stone, put, dump wax in it, he seals it. How hard that must have been, because he thinks, I'm sealing this guy's fate. I'm, I've been party, I've been tricked into destroying the very one that I wanted to lead my kingdom. But see, when God's not done with you, he's not done with you. No man's going to destroy you. No man can put his seal on, on, on approval of God, something, to, something God doesn't approve of. You need to get that. God has you. And he says, the God who you serve rescue, may he rescue you. So even the king believed this. So it's sealed. The situation is not changed. In verse 18, it says, Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. Man, he was in turmoil over having to throw Daniel in the lion's den because of a decision that he made. He bought into a lie. And he's realizing that the trap is sprung. He's stuck. He can't sleep. At the first light of dawn, verse 19, the king gets up, he hurries to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, is your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, O king, live forever. May God sent, I'm sorry, my God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. And the king did the happy dance. He was like, yeah, 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 Daniel. And the, and the, and the other people are going, dude, what's up? He's like, I've been up all night, man. Sleep deprivation makes you do crazy things. And, and he's like all excited and he's doing the dance and nobody's saying nothing because he's the king. And there's an open pit, which we're about to find out. Something happens to the bad guys. And Daniel is like excited. He's going to get brought out of the den, as we'll read. It says this, the king was overjoyed. And he gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And let me tell you something. When you're in it, God can bring you out of it. Amen. And God can't bring you out of it unless you're in it. And God will prove his power through the, the, the lion's dens that you face. He will bring you out. Out of it. It wasn't the king that brought him out. It was Daniel's decision to serve God. God honored it, brings him out, and the king's excited about it. And then the king looked at the bad guys. He's like, <laughs> You tricked me. You're going to pay now. Okay. And, and here's how God brings things full circle. Here's what he does. Because <laughs> you might feel like you're in a situation that's going against your convictions. You look at this world and it seems like evil is prevailing, but you just wait and see how this plays out. I've read enough Bible to know that God always wins every situation. What you see as is impossible, what you see as is chaos, God will use it for his glory. Your goal is to stick it out. Your goal is to stay in there. And here's what happened. At the king's command... The men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's dens along with their wives and their children. Ladies, know what your husband's up to. It's kind of important. 
It's like he comes home and he's got this little devil. You're like, what are you doing? Because this might affect me. All right. And, and they threw him into the lion's den. And it says the lions overpowered them all and crushed all their bones. Before they hit the ground, the lions devoured them. See, back then they didn't feed the lions very much so that they would do their job when it was necessary. And why did they kill the women and children? Well, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, what they would do is they would kill the whole family so there was no chance for revenge later down the road. Because if you know anything about this culture, <laughs> Middle Eastern culture is kind of about revenge. And, and they, they would just wipe everybody out so that there would be no revenge against the king later down the road. So that's why that happens. So know, know what your spouse is up to. Pretty important, all right? Because we look at it as being cold and callous. But the fact is, is your decisions can affect your family. So be careful what decisions you make. And then this is what King Darius wrote. I love this, verse 25. It says, Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, men, and every language throughout the land, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. Now, we understand that if it's, if it's a religion that has to be forced upon you, it's just religion. Relationship is never forced upon you. God never forces himself upon anybody. But I love this. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar, when the three Hebrew boys defied the king's order, went into the fire, were willing to give up their life, that God got the glory for it. And the same thing, Daniel defied the king's command. Why? Because the command went against his convictions. And that's why I tell you as a church family, there's, you know, again, thankful for Idaho, there's states that you can't even go to church anymore. But here's how I look at it. And I'll go on record to say this is as a church family, okay, when you give and you tithe, you pay for this place. And who am I to keep you out of it? Amen. That's how I look at it. It's like, no, they pay the bills. They probably, they probably should have a key to come in and pray and worship as they please. That's just where I stand on the issue. Um, again, I understand safety and all this, but there's a point when, when, a, when a government, in other words, can make a decision that makes you go against your convictions. And if it's your convictions to be in the house of God, who am I to say you can't? You can't. Okay, now, I know there's probably a thin line there that I'm walking on, but that's just how I personally feel is, is yeah, I'm about safety. You know, if you need to stay home, safety online, that's perfect. But I'm not going to really tell people, the people of God, how they should serve God. I don't think that's my job. But what I'm going to tell you is you need to serve God. And if you need to be in your church home, because this, this is how I look at it. Y'all own this place. That doesn't mean you could vote to sell it and go on a Caribbean cruise, because there's no cruises right now. But... Um, you know, but, but we have a, a, you know, our board oversees the finances, but the church, they pay for the place. Because I have some people ask me, do you own this place? I'm like, nope, just run it. <laughs> it's owned by the church family who give their tithes and offerings and it makes the building payment, electricity, and our super coffee that we have. Did you get any this morning? Okay, good. Always all right. Uh, that's just how I look at it. All right, again, I, I'm not trying to be defiant, but what I'm trying to is look at a Daniel to go, Again, he respected, here's, here's the point, guys. You can disagree and still be, still be respectful. Amen. You can disagree and still be respectful. Daniel, not one time, went to the king and go, come on, man, what's up? I'm serving you. That's a terrible decision. No, what he, he did is, you know what, that's the decree, and that's my line, man. You, you can't tell me when and where or who I can pray to. I'm going to pray. And he chose God over a king's order and in the end, God protected him. Now, we've got to be careful with this. I'm not telling you all to go defy every... Okay, that, that's not what I'm saying because some people could read into it. What I'm saying is, is if it's a conviction, if it goes against your Christianity, and I'm talking against your Christianity, okay, that's where you have to decide is where you're, where's my line? Where's my line? Okay, we all, we all have different lines. 
Okay, this should be pretty consistent. But, but Daniel's line was, I'm not going to quit doing what I normally do because you told me I couldn't. I am going to pray, and I'm going to pray out in the open. Amen. And that's what he did. He didn't alter his behavior. He didn't change because somebody told him he needed to change. He stayed the same. And what happened in the end, God got the glory. But guys, let me tell you something. I believe it happened this way because Daniel was respectful. He was respectful. And that's one thing that we need to see more in our world is respect. Even respect for the uniform, respect for the office. But if we start respecting each other, I think that's where change begins to happen. We just show respect. You can say, man, I agree. I disagree with you 100%. But I still love you. I still respect you. I still honor you as a human. I think that's where we're going to see change. Amen? There's times in my marriage when my wife, I'm like, baby, you can totally disagree with me. It's okay. I still know you love me. Okay? I think a good marriage is like, I don't expect her to see everything my well. Let me change that. I do. I do expect her to see everything my way. I want her to, but that's not reality, okay? She's not a Stepford wife. <laughs> I can't program her every morning. This is how I want you to be. Although, that might be a thing someday. Um, <laughs> let me be cool to have a remote control. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. All right. Daniel's destiny wasn't in the decision to go to the lion's den instead of bow down to corrupt people. That, his destiny wasn't there. It would eventually show itself through his decision to stand up or kneel down in prayer for what he believed in. That, that, his destination wasn't the lion's den. It was a short one-night stay. His destination would eventually be Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, the one that you can't see here. Because he determined that you know, no matter what his government is going to issue, he's going to stick with God's word. He's going to stick with his conviction. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do today. And um, are you going to have 15 minutes faster than first service? Isn't that great? They all needed it, I guess, more. Um, what I'm going to ask you today is this, is remain faithful regardless of what it could cost you. Remain faithful regardless of what it costs you. People might say stuff about you. I don't think in America we're not, you know, going to see Christians killed yet. I think it'll happen eventually if the ship doesn't turn, you know, back towards the Lord. But Daniel could stand strong because he had already determined to stand before he was tested. He, he's like almost 90 years old. He's like, what are you going to do to me? <laughs> Throw me in the lion's den. Yeah, it might be a short stay there. I might die. I'm 90. What can you do to me? But God had a plan for Daniel in the future. And I will tell you this, is that, that God will not let you get taken out of this world too early. You just keep serving him. Keep loving him. He's going to protect you. See, the tables turn. God will take care of the mess. So you deal with disruption by doing right. This world isn't it. Amen? And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you feel like you're about to get thrown in the lion's den or if you're in the lion's den. But you need to understand that this world isn't it. That God has a plan for what you look at as a possible disruption. Be okay with it. Learn to adapt and overcome. Learn to, be, to, to navigate those times that you're not comfortable with. That the, especially decisions you made that were right and something happened. And I personally believe that if you're working and you, you stick to your convictions as far as honesty and integrity and you get fired over it, that God will reward you later down the road. Yeah, he's not going to leave you hanging. He's going to go, oh, you did right. You got fired. Sorry. No, I know God. I know God. If he can get Daniel out of a lion's den, he can get you a better job. He can do that. You have to let God guide you in that. So I wanted to share just one last thing that you can say out loud that, that I have learned in the last, I don't know, several months, that when something not important tries to take over my thoughts, 
Okay, and this happens a lot, especially with social media or whatever. You, I, I turn on to get in my email and I'll see a headline and go, oh, you know, and I get I like ADD and I start reading there and I'm like, wait, wait, what am I doing? This is just taking me in the wrong direction. This, I, need, I think you need to be informed, but you can be over-informed. And, and here's when somebody does something that gets my mind off what I should be thinking about. It's just what I say out loud. Amy says, this is Idaho. I say small potatoes. <laughs> small potatoes. I will say that out loud. It's, it's, it's trying to consume my thinking. And I'm like, it's small potatoes. It's no big deal. And I find that when I say that out loud, I actually feel good. Now, Idaho, there's no such thing as small potatoes because we're all about a big potato state. And I'm not saying your situation is small potatoes, but there are certain things that try to captivate your mind that really are small potatoes. Okay, really are. Does that help? Just say it with me. Say small potatoes. Small potatoes, all right? Thanks. I always hated it when the pastor said, say this with me. I'm like, no, because I'm defiant. That's my nature. <laughs> Wear a mask. No, I'm not going to. <laughs> Wear a mask. Okay, put my mask on. Um, if you saw my mask today, which I'm going to put on after church so I can talk to some of y'all, it says Captain Johnson on it. Because I'll be your captain today. I, I was thinking as a flight. We're going on this flight, and I get to be the captain and tell you stuff. Um, but I never want to take you where you don't want to go. Amen? You can get off this ship anytime. Where's your walk with God today? There's two people in this room today, not two individuals, but two thoughts. One of all, you're in, you're in a lion's den, and you're like, this is not fun. I'm not enjoying this. I want to pray for you. Okay? The second person is maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Like I told you, in this plane, there's two destinations. There's heaven and there's hell. Unless you give your life to Jesus Christ, unless you repent of your sins and ask him to come and be your Lord and Savior, you cannot get to heaven. You can't. There's no other way. Jesus is the only way. So the Bible says, and I believe it, that's how it is. So if you bow your heads with me for a moment, because I want to make sure that you know how to get to heaven. I'm not forcing you to accept Christ, but if you don't know, and online people are watching all over the country, we need to make it very clear. The main thing is the main thing. The main thing is that you're serving Jesus right now. Because this world is going crazy. There's no better time to be a Christian in this world than today. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to tell you, first of all, God loves you so much. Second of all, he wants to forgive you. And the third thing is you have to ask for it to get it. And so if you're here today and you need to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, I'm not asking you to join a church. I'm not asking you to join a religion. What I'm asking you to do is to get saved from this craziness. Just get saved from spending eternity in hell because it's a real place. And you can only do that by accepting Jesus as your Savior. Do you need to do that? If so, just lift your hand up where I can see it. Is there anybody that needs to give their life to Christ today? God will make you new. Amen. Okay, all right, I don't see any hands. I hope that means we're all on the right track. But if you're online and you don't know how, it's a simple prayer. It's just simply asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life, and to be your Lord and Savior. It's that simple. It's the easiest ticket you'll ever acquire. Even a speeding ticket takes longer than getting saved. Amen. I want to pray for you, Father. Thank you for those who are in the lion's den today. They're in a place that they don't want to be, maybe by their own choice or maybe by somebody else's choice, but they're there. And I pray that today that, Father, you would have spoken through me because my words really mean nothing. Father, it has to be your words that write on the heart of a man or a woman that gives them hope. That though we're in the lion's den, Father, you're there with us. That you will send angels to be with us in those times that we don't understand, times that we don't even like. But you have something bigger going on, as in Daniel's 
situation that when he was brought out, it was decreed throughout the land that you are the true God. And we love you and give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I hope, hope you enjoyed it today.